You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey, Scott, I have a movie pitch for you. I want to do a Charlie's Angels movie. Oh, that's fantastic. It's been a long time since we've seen them. I think that's a franchise that's ripe for a good remake. Oh, no, 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 not a remake. We're going to make it part of the canon. Okay, I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast where we keep, cut, punch up, and tweak mediocre movies as voted by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing the 2019 film, Charlie's Angels, and we are joined uh, by uh, our, uh, again, now a regular guest. Proud to call uh, this person a regular guest from the Alberta Podcast Network, Quantum Kickflip. Uh, and from previous episodes of this show, please welcome Glenna Showalter. Hello. Nice to be here. Yes, thank you for uh, joining us again. Yeah, thank you for inviting me back. Happy to uh, to lend my voice. Yeah, we got, this is episode two of a new season, and it's, ooh boy, what a season. Ooh boy. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Glenna, the, the last time you were on, uh, we were reviewing a pretty awesome woman-led action flick. And mm-hmm. and this one is a decidedly not awesome one. <laughs> so how are you feeling? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, I feel like my uh, discerning tastes will be put to good use. Mm-hmm. Yep, Perfect. good answer. <laughs> um, yeah, good good answer indeed. Um, what I guess I want to start off like I I was going through the list of of movies that have that are remakes or or reimaginings, reboots, whatever of TV shows from the 70s and 80s and literally they've all been done. They they have all been done. You name a name a TV show from the 70s or 80s that they have not made into a new movie. Murder Let's she see wrote. If you can guess the one that I found. What's that? Murder she wrote. Murder she wrote, that's fair. Mash, I guess they haven't done they didn't do a Mash either. I don't, I don't know that you would really risk redoing Mash though. Yeah. I wouldn't risk redoing Murder She wrote. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, the only one I could I could really think of uh, was uh, Quantum Leap. Oh yeah, yeah. nobody's yeah. And, and that's such a such a good one. That would be a great one to. Oh, you could even have Scott Bakula come back. He's still young enough yeah. to do that. Wow, he could come Bakula. To the <laughs> um, but yeah, when I saw that, I'm like, wait, we're doing Charlie's Angels again, and we still haven't done done a Quantum Leap. Uh, I was also like, oh, chips. They've never done chips. But then I'm like, oh wait, they did chips. They did chips. Yeah. Yeah, Dak Shepard as chips. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some of these. There's some of these remakes, like you know, they I mentioned in our pre-chat. Like there's the Tom and Jerry uh, movie that they made with Abigail Breslin, and I and like I wonder what the movie studios are thinking about, like what kind of audience they're trying to court when they do some of these remakes. Like like how many people remember what Tom and Jerry are? Like I I'm 41. And I don't think I've ever seen an actual episode of Tom and Jerry. Like it's not like so. It's not even nostalgic for me at all. And like kind of same with Charlie Charlie's Angels. Like I mm-hmm. I don't remember seeing a single episode on TV. Like the only I guess it's I guess there's maybe some people have got nostalgia for the the Drew Barrymore and Lucy Lucy Liu one, but um, I don't know. It's been so long, and I don't think that they were like slam dunk hits. I think the fam- famously the second one was terrible. Um, if I recall correctly. So, yeah, I just, yeah, it doesn't, sometimes it's just, I'm, uh, I don't understand what the movie studios are trying to accomplish. Was it, I'm curious, was it Elizabeth Banks's idea? Did she want to do it specifically? I mean, could be. Don't know. She wrote and directed it. So mm-hmm. it might've been a passion project, which is fair enough. Yeah, maybe she's she's the because there is a, like a weird crack about her age in the movie. Maybe she is exactly old enough to have deep fond memories of uh, uh, 
Charlie's Angels, or it was I I my my cynical part of me thinks maybe it was just more like they had this as a property. She's like, please let me write and direct a uh, action comedy, um, or just like action movie. It's not really a comedy, but just like this cool action heist fighty movie, and. <clears throat> to get the interest was like we can tack the charlie's angels names on it makes it a little more bankable it's also this movie's full of product placement like pretty yep. gratuitous product placement <laughs> and i wonder if it was just like she 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 knew she could make the movie that she'd get to make the movie if she just like played ball i don't know, I don't know. How, how much do you think altoids paid for the their sponsorship because they're the, <laughs> that altoids canister is in a good chunk of this movie that's a weird product placement. They stopped, yeah. They discontinued the best flavor. So what's even the point? Yeah, I think I think the one that felt gross. Like sorry, I was we're gonna choose my words more carefully here. I think the one that felt the most inappropriate to me was uh, when they get that nurse lady, um, the ambulance full of medical supplies. A lot of them like feminine hygiene products and like products uh, like women would need, uh, women in need would need. Uh, and there was a Tampax and seventh generation toilet paper like zoomed in on the logos and i'm like this is this is a gift for an ngo and you're like it's a tampax gift for an ngo mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> like um just seemed a little tasteless but uh as we mentioned directed by uh, elizabeth banks written by elizabeth banks stars uh kristen stewart naomi scott and ella balinska as the uh, uh, titular angels, uh, with of course Elizabeth Banks as one of the Bosleys, Patrick Stewart as the other Bosley, and Jimon Hansu as the other Bosley. Thank you. I, I did the Google Translate or the Google um, pronunciation thing earlier, and then twenty minutes went by and I forgot it. <laughs> so thank you for the save. Yeah, we I think there's lots to discuss, but let's uh, let's go to the trailer, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk Charlie's Angels. Who are you? I'm Bosley. Welcome to the Townsend Agency. We exist because traditional law enforcement can't keep up. I don't like that, boy. You guys are like lady spies. Dane's former my 6 Oh, God. What did you do to Sven? I compressed his carotid and deoxygenated his brainstem. Well, that sounds painful. Don't worry. He's going to wake up. Unless he doesn't. Sabina runs the ground game. See, I know stuff. Leading his angels one last time in the heroic capture of yet another international criminal, it was time for Bosley to retire. His longtime colleague Bosley threw him a lovely retirement party, and with that, Bosley's storied career at the Townsend Agency was over. Meanwhile, Angels, Sabina, and Jane are tasked by Bosley to protect a whistleblower named Elena. She's a Brock Corporation engineer who helped build an Alexa, which causes heart attacks. When an assassin makes an attempt on Elena's life, Bosley is killed trying to protect her. Sabina, Jane, and Elena turn to Bosley for help in tracking down Bosley's killer. Little do they know that Bosley was secretly trying to steal the aneurysm box the whole time. Bosley and the Angels must confront Bosley before Bosley uses the box to become the greatest Bosley who ever Bosleyed. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, I liked that choice, frankly. Um, uh, as much as we ribbed on it, I, I'll start off with that. I like the fact that there's a bunch of them named Bosley and it's a title. Um, that that uh, endeared me. Um, it th- This is... I'm torn on this because on the one hand I did like that and it riffs on the fact that Bosley's been played by different actors in the past which made shoehorning Patrick Stewart into the previous movies as the same <laughs> Bosley that much more egregious and stupid because mm-hmm. he could have just been a different Bosley <laughs> it would have been fine you could even establish that he's a long running Bosley he's been there since the beginning but he's not the same Bosley as the Bosley's from the previous Charlie's Angel ones do you think that's what they were trying to imply with that picture? I just thought at one point he would have worked with those agents. No, they were. They, it agents. was explicitly shots from the previous movies with him photoshopped in, and and from the the old TV show with him photoshopped in. So oh, yeah, they were weird. they were definitely trying to suggest it's the same guy. I couldn't tell whether it was supposed to be a joke, like within the context of the movie, 
Do you know what I mean? They're, like, I don't, I didn't know whether it was supposed to be a joke to the to the characters, like, because they were no. everything was photoshopped so poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that no, if, the, yeah. If I would agree with you that it, it it's so badly done that it looks like they must be ribbing him, except that they are using it to specifically establish that he is the original Bosley. Like, that's part of the that's part right. of the plot so yeah they're they're really trying to sell that he's the guy who's been there all along and again having built in the idea that there are all these other bosleys and the fact that bosley has without comment been played by different actors in different movies it, it just made it more egregious that they were trying to do that and it really it didn't land for me this is very silly i i don't know like i don't know if i liked it as being this kind of massive organization overall like i i don't know that just i don't know like somehow the concept oh. seems to work a little bit better for me when it's a, like if it was like a smaller group of spies like mm. i don't know I, I it just it just i don't know it made the organization feel weird to me somehow and i and i can't i can't quite put my finger exactly on why Here's one of the reasons why it was weird for me um, is because the Townsend agency was a trio of kick-ass lady detectives who would take on jobs pro bono because they were being bankrolled by an eccentric millionaire with deep pockets who wanted to help people. When they spin it out into this giant global, uh, this giant global spy agency that is still working pro bono, how are they bankrolling that? Like, it doesn't make sense. Well, they say they're an NGO, so I guess they're getting donations from uh, maybe. I guess a yeah. spy agency but sort of like getting donations. Yeah, I, it's, it's I think weird. It was just like they, I was thinking about it. I'm like the the problem the call had to be coming from inside the house because this is so like other than this, these weird pictures trying to tie it in canonically, it is a fairly like self contained spy story, and so that to, to to like one of the characters we meet is this old Bosley that that I understand the the desire to have it have the threat tie back to the agency because otherwise it would just be three nosy ladies going and fucking up some criminals day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it gives that it's, it's a cheap and easy way to make it uh, a closed loop and a personal connection. But they could have also I had think. it be the Elizabeth Banks Bosley, like that switcheroo seemed so unnecessary mm-hmm. to me. They make you think that it's Elizabeth Banks and then it turns out it's Patrick Stewart but I don't see why that reveal was necessary because he disappears for like half the movie. Yeah. That's the reason it doesn't work is because we don't get enough time with him. And I, I, that's treading on the toes of my fix actually. But I, I think the swerve with Elizabeth Banks is smart. I just don't think it's executed very well in the movie. And Mm -hmm. I, I do have an idea for how to fix that, but that's for later in the podcast. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I think like, because, um, you know, it's Charlie's Angels specifically, and because like it's like it's like this one guy who's like building this this organization. It's it like that idea that like it's just one it's it's one dude sort of building it all up makes it makes it feel weirder to me that it's all that's all women. Do you know what I mean? Just like because like <laughs> yeah. in a, in a corporation, like if if like a dude surrounded himself with a bunch of hot kickass women. You'd be like that guy's gross. <laughs> like he's um, just like a weird pervy dude. Which I mean, fair fair criticism for Charlie, but makes it even more weird when you consider that most of the Bosleys are men, but none of the angels are, and the Bosleys are the lieutenants and the facilitators. Hmm, oh, I don't yes. know. So the, I, that scene with with all of them and the thing it was about fifty fifty, which I thought was interesting. Um, that the Bosley anyone can be a Bosley, but like uh, angels, like she she pontificates at the beginning that women people never su- uh, suspect women before they register them as a th- as a threat yeah um, but just it does also have a like a guy got an agency full of goyles <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, they're gonna kick ass they're gonna do the work for me like <laughs> like if it's a if it's a smaller group then it's not yeah it doesn't really make it doesn't really invoke that sort of like ceo abusing his power kind of thing to me like if it's just like mm-hmm. yeah if it's just like three women like yeah he just happened to find three really awesome spies perfect but this movie does uh s- spoiler alert uh <laughs> does reveal charlie to be a woman actually well at least Whoa. the current charlie 
it's it's mentioned the original Charlie Townsend had died. Yeah. Um. Yeah the the action in this movie was the I liked the setting for some of it. Like the the like the in the coffee shop was fun. Her sliding down the quarry was fun. I think staged nicely, but. Did anyone else have a hard time really being like at least the action's good? No. Or or am I um, off base here? No, I I um I was I got very frustrated with the the assassination scene. Um the one in in which they're protecting Naomi Scott's character. Elena. Um Yeah, and like I, there was like the spatial awareness was not there. Like the, everything was shot really tight in, in kind of that Paul Greengrass style, but just um, so much of it that like, I had no idea, like there's a car chase and I had no, I, no idea where the two cars were in relationship to one another. Mm-hmm. And there was a good long stretch where like they were cutting back and forth between one car and the other shooting at one another um, but never showing them together in the same shot. And it started to feel a little ridiculous. Like it started to feel really fake because it was it was as if they were shooting at nothing because I had no idea where they were. I, I don't know. It, like most of the most of the action I, I, I felt was, you know, at best, OK, um, and um, sometimes not very well shot. I also thought the action was like weirdly brutal but they also didn't go brutal with it i'm thinking specifically of the dude that fell in the rock grinder thing yeah like the fact that he fell in is horrific and then they cut away right away which is fine (laughs) i guess but i'm like uh i was watching it with someone who was like this should have been an r rating we should have seen a spurt of blood and and heard the bones grinding and like if they'd really leaned into that that could have been well and i mean interesting way to do it Kristen stewart was wearing white over top she was prime for a spray of blood mm-hmm. <laughs> i would have loved if that was yeah. the aesthetic like if it was like this this poppy bumblegum charlie's angels thing and but it was also r-rated that would have been great or just i guess don't we- have people die so gratuitously because the the other one was the um the guy falling on the ice. Oh yeah, where there's yeah. a full scene where they're like two pe- two people are talking, and in between the two heads, there's just a guy impaled on the ice with no blood, <laughs> just like no no blood, no no one's also stopped to like get him off or check if he's maybe okay. Just though they leave the body there while they have a flirty conversation. Yeah, it's it's like they wanted to be an R-rated movie, but someone was like, mm, it should be PG-13 though. Yeah, it's surprisingly bloodless for the level of brutality. Yeah. Did anyone pick up on like the, the the Charlie's Angels as an organization couldn't really decide how they felt about murder? Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. It's frowned upon. We'll say sort of, and then and then a lot of murder happens. Yeah. Yeah, and they're also like they're also pretty cavalier about people dying. Like they 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 go out of their way a couple times to. Um, to tell you that characters that had, you know, been in the opposing end of a pretty brutal, you know, punch kick or whatever, and they tell you that they're okay. But then at the same time, there's that, um, the scene where, um, oh, I forget the character's name. Oh, Jane. She, she uh, puts someone to sleep with, with a dart or one of those Altoid things. I don't remember what it was. And, and then um, the character of Elena is concerned that, the person is dead and she starts joking around that like well he, he might be we don't know <laughs> and like it was just like it was yeah. that donut guy it was the guy who got the donuts that she yeah, oh, yeah, she, yeah, put yeah. The, she Vulcan right? neck pinches why, him yeah, yeah she she, it, that's him. right that's, right, that's okay. what it is and that felt like especially like kind of egregious because he just like he was just like an innocent guy and you're like oh maybe he's dead whatever yeah well <laughs> like, even okay. even when Elena set off the the uh Oh man, what is it actually called? The Alexa device? Callisto? <laughs> uh, Callisto. Oh, yeah, Calypso. Callisto. When she sets it off and gives the guy a, a stroke or an aneurysm or something, and then she was like, I murdered a guy. And they're like, No, no, you're fine. <laughs> he was totes yeah. dead. 
He was dead. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So they, sh- they, they cut, smash cut to him being pulled away in a body bag. Like. Yeah, they play it as a joke. Mm-hmm. And I don't they think he was do. that bad a dude. <laughs> yeah, he was just a creep. Hey, a little, a little skeevy, but he probably he didn't was, deserve a brain aneurysm. He was just doing his job. Like, he was just running security for He's that company. He was being a creep about it, but he was doing his job. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I guess this might be the the point to to maybe discuss the that this movie's themes definitely traffics in um, uh, female uh, empowerment, uh, female capability. Um, yeah, it's not uh, subtle about it either. Did it, no, did you get uh, that from the from the montage of children <laughs> at the beginning of the movie? Did you get it from the very first line of the movie, being like, well, "I think women can do anything men can do." Yeah, I ugh. Yeah, so, Anita, Anita groaned when she yeah. was watching the beginning of this movie. It's it's a very marketable kind of feminism. And that's what makes it shallow. Is It's not actually subversive. It's not speaking truth to power. It's just very glitzy, girl boss, get, get women CEOs. Let's, you know, have capitalism prop up women as well as men and still perpetuate all of the horrible things that come along with it yeah i'm glad to hear you say it because i also i'm like it felt shallow to me too but i'm like is do i get to decide if this is shallow or not that is that my judgment to levy <laughs> and so i'm glad you corroborated what my gut said but what my my uh, uh brain said hey maybe don't articulate or at least don't articulate first <laughs> my wife erin called it uh white feminism the movie and mm-hmm. um, so yeah <laughs> Like I, I felt justified in having that that sort of thought as well. Like it, it feels like, like a a girl power movie on the level of like Spice Girls, you know, like that kind of of feminism, like certain like sort of early two thousands, yeah, feminism, and like I said, very marketable. Yeah, and like you, like I, I, I noticed that um, the the gaze of the movie was still felt like a very male gaze. Mm-hmm. And, I, don't know I, I got that yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Or at least just a vain one. Like the the costumes and the outfits are great. Like they look great, and there are a lot of fun outfits. But it it, it does have some of that like Barbie's got a new hat fun outfits, as opposed to like that's still a type of gaze. That's still a very like whether it whether we're starting at her calves and like looking at her curves, or we're like starting at her boots and looking at her dress. It's still a very like surface level way to look at women i will say Mm -hmm. that that's kind of baked into charlie's angels though because even as far back as the original charlie's angels there was an aspect of glamorousness to it and so like keeping with like the fabulous clothes and stuff kind of tracks it's it's kind of part of the brand i'll i'll give it that Mm -hmm. well i know i brought this up in the pre-talk and i'll talk about it now uh i think Mm -hmm. that this this film really plays with the idea of female wish fulfillment uh, which is where you see like self-insert characters. That idea that like women get criticized for a lot in their own fiction is is giving uh, the characters an opportunity to be powerful and glamorous and perfect and at their you know desirable and all these things, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. But <laughs> um, there are much better movies that have done a better job of it. I think than this one. Do you, yeah. Do you think then the, um, if they had like, would it have, how do I articulate this? The, um, the wish fulfillment, uh, and its relationship to the like message of empowerment and that like shallow modern white marketable feminism. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're mutually exclusive? Do you think they go hand in hand? Could we like cut one and keep the other or, like, do we have to do one properly to make the other one justifiable? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I feel like you can do uh, female wish, wish fulfillment with lots of different things. I don't think it has to be attached to this, like, shallow marketable kind of... Like, if you look at something like, I don't know, Captain Marvel, um, I think there was quite an element of female wish fulfillment in that. And an element of white feminism, I'm not going to lie about that. But I think it did a better job of walking that line, for example. Sure. Or I guess, like, instead of shallow, uh, marketable feminism, meaningful, impactful feminism mm-hmm. obviously would be a great inclusion in any movie. But, like, <laughs> could could you 
could you just do female wish fulfillment without doing either feminism good or bad like do you think that exists in any spectrum i think so but i think there is an inherent feminism in female wish fulfillment because we don't see it very often um like the standard is male wish fulfillment that's the way we do a lot of um action movies superhero movies that's what those are um and so just by the very fact of having it be a woman is subversive so there is an inherent amount of feminism in that just by virtue of it being because it's not the standard valid sweet then it, then yes perhaps then the the fix will be have to be how do we actually impart meaningful values and not shallow marketable values mm-hmm. so that we can have this you know fun um wish fulfillment fantasy come to life in a way that isn't cringy to watch at points <laughs> yeah if, i remember like in you know years ago as i was kind of getting better about you know learning about the the, the woman's perspective in in film and and you know the, how just how unfair it is that it was um watching a Anita Sarkeesian video where she pointed out that like the there's no there's not a lot of equivalence of the of the male power fantasy for women or or a kind of a movie that's um uh, I think the example she used was like um or the one that I use since then is Star Trek the the new reboot with um with Chris Pine mm-hmm. where it's all about it's all about his destiny like he's gotten like his you know his father was a captain and and he's destined to be a captain and like i was you know you think of a like there's not really a lot of movies like that for women where they're the ones who are who are destined for greatness and like and you know they're they're inheriting that from you know their parents or whatever so like yeah there's 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 a lot of like different yeah like you say, like just um, that kind of wish fulfillment doesn't really exist on the same level. Mm-hmm. Well, in one movie that I haven't seen, but which I understand tackles that is actually Jupiter Ascending. Um, oh, really? Which, I mean, mm. got panned, right? People thought it was horrible. And I, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to that. But I understand that like from a wish fulfillment perspective, it is about a woman destined for greatness. Right, because I believe... Mila Kunis's character is like she's um, she's a queen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or she's like she because she has DNA like something 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 about like her DNA matches up with the ancient queen, and then she's destined to become the ruler of whatever a universe mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, there's. Uh, uh, I'm glad we. I'm glad we broached that. Um, I think we perhaps even maybe did more than the movie did. <laughs> um, uh, but then there's also this whole weird action movie attached to it as well. That's also riddled with holes. Uh, so why don't we uh, uh, go to break? Oh, go ahead. Uh, before we go to break, uh, yes. I would like to so address the pause. <laughs> I would like to address the cast mm. because mm-hmm. I think. And I, I believe I may have an unpopular opinion here that the cast is pretty good in this movie. And I found them quite charming. I think Kristen Stewart was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the other two angels do a pretty great job with what they've got. I think Elizabeth Banks is delightful. I loved the character of the saint and I want to have more of that. Um, the only person who kind of felt weird for me was Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Um. I, it felt like he was in a different movie and he was clearly making choices and maybe it's because we didn't get enough of him in the film, but it just wasn't working for me. And it's really a weird take to say Patrick Stewart was the weakest performance in this film. (laughs) (laughs) But I I know that Greg disagrees with me. I hard, hard disagree on two things. Like, first of all, the saint, (laughs) really like that, like, the CEO of goop as M like, it's just like, it's that's the worst. That was the worst part of the movie by far. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was delightful. Oh yeah. We, me and Aaron were just like, this is so weird. It just, I don't know. The, uh, it was the reason, the the worst things about like woo, well health and all that kind of stuff rolled into like one character and like it not being, that's the reason it worked for me because it was so out of left field and it was so weird. (laughs) But but I also think that like um, Patrick Stewart, if had he had more of the movie to 
to do his thing. I think it would have worked better. Um, but like the, he actually kind of saved the movie for me, um, because I was actually throughout the second act getting really bored and not having a lot of fun and his choices that he made in the, in the third act is sort of when the movie kind of came alive for me when, once he started, he went full villain and uh, having a lot of fun playing sort of like a, a gleeful villain, you know, it, it, that was uh, that was working for me. It kind of saved it a bit. I actually said to Anita after the movie, um, I liked the core cast of this film enough that I would be willing to give a sequel a shot. And I don't say that often about movies that I don't like, but I didn't hate this movie. And I thought that the core cast was charming enough that I'm like, give them another script, give them another shot. I, I might not rush out to the theaters to see it, but I, you'd be able to twist my rubber arm. I'd go and see a sequel to this movie. I'd give them I'd give them another chance because I thought that they were charming and I thought that they were trying. And I appreciate that. That's trying, I think, is the the key word there. And it's been a, a listeners of the show will recognize always I hate it when it seems like people are like phoning it in for a paycheck <laughs> and it does seem like everyone here showed up, which I appreciate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can I just, okay, my little gay heart, just Kristen Stewart was so good. (laughs) Um, She was, she was there like for me specifically to enjoy (laughs) with her cool haircut and her leather jackets and her motorcycle and her weird silks thing at the very beginning. And (laughs) then she rode a horse. Oh my god! Yeah, the the blonde wig and then the short hair, yeah. yeah. And just even the way she like the one like in the gym scene when she seals that guy's gym thing and then she like checks out of a woman walking by and then mm-hmm. carries on. I thought it was a nice little touch where they're yeah. like, they don't harp on it. They just add this little detail, and that one of the few details we got about any of these characters. She's um, yeah. one of. I thought it was funny that she was like her character was almost a side character. Like doesn't she doesn't really. She doesn't really have an arc, but she was like, she was also like very clearly like a cut above everyone else in terms of like her performance. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, I felt like that anyway. I felt like she was easily outshining everyone else. If anything, the arc is Jane's and to an extent mm-hmm. Elena's and, uh, oh, what's her case? Sabine is kind of just there as an accessory to the two of them in a way. Cause she's yeah. very fully realized coming into the movie in a way that's, I mean, good she's a great character and she Kristen Stewart is clearly having a blast playing her um so yeah yeah it's, it's just weird I think it, it almost feels like the it, that happened by accident like the the movie didn't necessarily intend for uh Kristen Stewart to be um the the least developed character and it just kind of happened I, 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 do you feel like she's the least developed? Because I feel like she was the most. I feel like most of the characters in this movie, from Patrick Stewart to Elizabeth Banks, to they don't. It's a lot of stuff just happening at them, and there's not a lot of emotional reactions to anything except for the one big, like the scene where someone's crying. No one really seems affected by anything, uh, and so just the fact that she was kind of quirky and funny and had style made her leaps and bounds. I feel more developed than anyone else because <laughs> at least she had like something going on where the rest of them were kind of just like good guys, bad guys, all of them. Uh, they're not all, not real big characters in this movie, and I think she stands out because she's the only character. Uh, I, yeah, to I be think- honest, I don't know what choices you're talking about with Patrick Stewart. He seemed like he was just like. I'm going to Patrick Stewart up these lines. Go now. Oh no, because he was he was devouring scenery by the end of the movie, like just hoovering he, it up, and that yeah, was I mean, clearly a, a choice. Yeah, I mean he was pretty being like it was kind of a very uh, once he became a villain, it was a very flamboyant performance. I think like I don't know, I think he definitely he definitely elevated himself a little bit. It, it, uh, never mind. I, I was going to mention something that happened in Star Trek Picard, but nobody's seen it and nobody will get it. So, so we'll, we'll forget that. Cool. Well, we'll be uh, back with our fixes for Charlie's Angels.
Egg Podcast is back October 1st through 3rd, presented by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Alberta Podcast Network and LitFest. The event will be held online this year, so anyone can tune in to experience it. Events include masterclasses with professional podcasters, panel discussions, featured interviews, and more. Plus, some APN members will be there too, including this show's very own Scott C. Bourgeois. So to uh, check out the full lineup and get tickets, head over to yegpodfest.ca. That's yegpodfest.ca. With PodPower, our sponsors are making it possible to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a PodPower shout-out to Your Forest. Your Forest is a podcast about the natural world. Hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more. This is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all things wild. Find Your Forest wherever you get your podcast, or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes, Charlie's Angels. How do we fix this movie that is definitely something needs to be fixed because there's <laughs> I'm I'm going to start because I've got to be left. <laughs> I'm going to start because I have a, a structural fix that I think uh, makes the movie a little tighter and fixes the third act because as it stands one of my criticisms about the plot at present is that the twist doesn't really land and it's because while i do like the swerve with elizabeth banks we just don't spend enough time with patrick stewart for the for the reveal that he's the villain to really it's it's flat i feel nothing um and i think that the fix for that is that you take jimon hansu and Patrick Stewart's Bosleys, and you make them the same Bosley. Hmm. So what you have is you have Bosley isn't retiring at the beginning of the movie, but he is nearing retirement. And you make that clear. He's getting older. He's going on like one of his fun. He's getting close to retirement. He's so close to retirement. This is going to be his last job. You play into that trope that he's like just he's like two weeks to retirement so that he goes on this mission. Uh, he's he's part of this uh this initial meet with uh, with Elena, uh, he gets attacked with them by Hodak, and he appears to get killed. And that's the big shocking thing. Oh, my God, Bosley's dead. Um, and then through the second act, you have you play it like Elizabeth Banks comes in and takes over and she's acting squirrely and people start to get suspicious. And maybe she's not on the level. Maybe she's the one who killed Bosley because <gasps> she's a bad guy. And then twist. He's still alive. And he plays it off initially as, oh, I, I faked my death because I knew Elizabeth Banks Bosley was was bad and she was up to something. You should come with me because I will keep you safe. Twist, I'm actually the villain and now you're in my clutches. That makes the that makes the twist work better. It gives us more time with the evil Bosley so that the reveal that he's the villain hurts more and is more personal. And it makes the swerve with Elizabeth Banks work better. And I think that that solves a lot of problems. You just get rid of a Bosley and merge Jimon Hansu and Patrick Stewart into one Jimon Stewart and away <laughs> you go. Brilliant. I Yeah, I think that's better yeah, than I, I, my, but I'm not even going to say mine. I like that better. That's yeah, <laughs> nice and tidy. Um, and and you're right. We spend more time with him, so we get to know not only his motivation, but like because they tried to set up that like Jane had some sort of connection to the, the that third Bosley. Yeah, and like that that's not character motivation. Well, and, that's and, not, and now it's, it's like an even basic, like it's an even worse betrayal for her because first she thinks her mentor is dead and maybe was killed by this other Bosley. And then twist her mentor is actually the villain. Oh no. That, like that's so much that worse. Gives her, that gives her mm-hmm. some character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I think that that is the big mm-hmm. change that tightens up the script so much and fixes a lot of the third act. And I think there's, there's still other stuff that could be shored up and I'm sure you have a bunch of suggestions, but uh, that's my big fix. I like that. I, one of the tweaks that that I'd like to see is to add some conflict between Sabina and Jane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just because there's nothing like it, it would add a lot more to the dynamic if they if they were at odds with one another. I, I thought one of the ways you could do it is in that opening scene uh, where they're uh, foiling the international embezzler, right? Yeah. Um, 
he if if uh if she's kind of like playing around with him and kind of like you know goofing around a little bit too much and then jane decides to take upon herself to enter in too early then you kind of like then you have this sort of like this scene you could have a fun scene where the two of them are sort of like trying to outdo each other to finish off the villains um but also like upset with one another for not respecting each other's uh methods and then then you automatically right off the bat get a good conflict between the two of them and then when they're later on when they're forced to work with each other you can continue that um and that's sort of their art throughout is just sort of learning how to work with one another that would then add uh some actual um authenticity to the crying scene that uh, in the film as it currently stands didn't actually have any of the buildup that it said it had Uh, when when Jane said you taught me that I need to have friends I literally screamed when at my screen (laughs) (laughs) I don't know maybe it was a deleted scene but we better put that scene back in uh, there's with, with this conflict it's interesting you say that because I didn't really consider that, but you're right. There is they they almost kind of set up that there's a bit of a con- a methodological conflict between them, but it's like an aborted arc. It we don't see it, and it would be interesting if, like you say, like they have a conflict, but may- maybe it's because Sabina's such like a by the seat of her pants, loosey goosey, uh, feeling it out doing things like her way sort of sort of agent whereas Jane is like coming out of MI6 she's very by the book very disciplined and part of the part of their journeys in and this could give Sabina character development which we felt was a little missing is Sabina needs to learn how to work with a team and work a little bit more by the book and Jane needs to learn to loosen up and be able to do things a little more uh to improvise a little more mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a little tropey, but it might. But I think it, it would was going to say the fact that that's like a, a incredibly broad trope that's been done a billion times in any good got back up thing is a fix. I think speaks to how little substance <laughs> is going on in the emotion. Of the Tropes movie. are like, not inherently bad. Yeah, put there's a, a reason cliches are cliches. Like, yeah, they're especially useful in action movies where mm-hmm. usually the plot is pretty razor thin and you're trying to get from action scene to action scene so like they work really well like getting you to where you want to go and it's short letting people sink in and really enjoy uh all the car chases and gunfights and people getting ground up by rock crushers (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's a narrative shorthand uh glenna uh and we kind of brought this up in the first half uh but like make it r-rated just (laughs) Just like they were, they, you could tell they wanted to. It was an R-rated movie trapped within a PG-13 movie. And I think just like exactly what Greg said, a a completely campy, over-the-top, totally violent Charlie's Angels is something that would have been a delight. Would it have been like great cinema? Probably not. But I think it would have <laughs> really uh, energized some of those action scenes that felt a little flat if they especially especially with the the guy dying on the spike mm-hmm. uh, already in the movie I was like oh they wanted to do this the whole time so I think if they just like really leaned into it that would have um, would yeah, it would have more energy it would have been an interesting juxtaposition too between like the glamour and the comedy and then mm-hmm. also this just intensely brutal violence which almost turns slapstick at that point because it's yeah. it's like an action comedy. So and I think that an audience would have been receptive to like uh, we went and saw Suicide Squad and it's mm-hmm. in, it's very gory, <laughs> but it's also very funny. And so the gore comes off more slapsticky than horrifying. And I think that you could have done a similar thing here. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall. Was Birds of Prey uh, PG-13 or R? R. Oh, yeah. R. yeah and it, like, it really? and it worked. worked yeah. Oh, they say they say the F word more than once in that movie. It's yeah, more oh, and the violence in that one. Right, right, that right, one right. I feel like could have been like would have been PG thirteen if there wasn't swear words. Um, I don't know. Yeah, a man just... blows up at at the end. <laughs> oh, right, you're right. It's I'm misremembering all sorts of. It's, we're also not talking about that movie. Um, uh, speaking of people blowing up and things, correct correct me if I'm wrong, but they use the device, the Calypso uh, or Callisto, mm-hmm. Calypso, I think device. Callisto, yeah. Callisto. Um, not like yeah, not Calypso like the music, Callisto like the <laughs> Flockhart. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, they take they they 
she she's like oh she hacks it when patrick stewart makes her hack it and to to set it up to kill her and the guy who's tied up and then she's like oh no i just made it blink and beep right uh and then the the guy falls on the ice uh mr brock gets shot or something i think by nope he's still um, alive at the end oh he's still alive at the end right and then how do they get patrick stewart i I, refresh my memory he uh beats elizabeth banks in a in a very brief and stiff fist fight and then right. is like and then all the security guys surround them and he's like you're out manned and she's like yeah well you're out woman and the lights go out and everybody's been altoided because right. all of that because my- all of the women at the party were were angels who were secreted in because she had cut a yes. deal with australian johnny thank you another I, great I, character I, I, might i add <laughs> I wanted to confirm that because, so the last time, the reason I took all those steps, the last time we see the device, the main MacGuffin of this movie, is when she programs it to just blink and um, uh, flicker on and off or whatever and make noises. I would have liked to see that device be part of how they defeat anyone in any way. Um, Because it is really ramped up as this big, gnarly, intense weapon, and they use it one time on the asshole uh, security guard. Um, And it never, for such a uh, a huge stakes MacGuffin, it is very rarely used in any way that is interesting. Um, They don't even necessarily have to kill someone with it at the end, but use it in a in an interesting way would be yeah would be neat. Like maybe it's implied that's how they turn off the lights and then they turn them back on and everyone fell down from Altoids. But like, yeah, use use it in some meaningful way. Have it somehow be come back in part of the plot because it was it was a MacGuffin in the truest sense in that it did almost nothing. It was one step above Magic Rock. Like, I will say, I feel like we were cheated out of a cool fight scene at the end when all of the uh, lady party guests turned out to be angels, I feel like they could have like fought the security guys and that would have been much more dynamic, but obviously that's not what the movie was going for. So yeah, so that'd be about my only, my only fix. Cause I, I had a, a Bosley note that I, I just like yours better. Uh, Scott, it's super tight. So thank you. Uh, speaking of things that they introduced, but didn't really go anywhere. Um, I would like to delete, the golden collar. Thank you. Oh my god. I kept <laughs> I kept being like, there's gotta be a chance to bring this up. There's gotta be a chance to bring this up. The weird golden collar leash thing that wasn't even they like like that's gotta be someone's bedroom toy, right? That was just brought out because I can't think of any other reason for it to exist. It's it's very slave Leia. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. a real shallow. It's it. It was just like I chalk it up to that same line of like the movie starting with her looking at the camera, going, "I think a woman can do anything a man can do." It was just like that that shallow on the nose. Yeah. Oh, women are subjugated, so we're gonna put her in mm-hmm. a collar. It's like no yeah. all bark, no bite in its commentary. Like, and it's if, not if that I'm against, if, you know. Like I if guess there's no reversal on it. Like it's it, you know, it, it, if there's no reversal of the collar. Like she doesn't even does she ever even have to get out of it? No, like it, it, it just it's just you, in there to be gross for gross sake. That's what I object to it. Mm-hmm. And you you even kind of hit the the nail on the head there. It would have been interesting if she had somehow gotten out of the collar and used it to help defeat Patrick Stewart, because yeah. then at least symbolism and not just weird <laughs> and gross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If she put it on him, <laughs> you know, start dragging him around, like, like and that's how that's how on the new on the nose the movie wants to be. So you might as well do it. You no, know, like shackle him to the desk and be like, reveal like, oh, this is just beeping and flashing, but it won't now as she reprograms it and leaves oh, yeah. the room. <laughs> For yeah. sure, yeah. Because murder is okay, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they're pretty cla- cavalier about it already, so why not? <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, I we mentioned the cast earlier, and I just want to give serious props to the actor who they have playing Hodak, um, mm-hmm. who unfortunately I, I don't have my letterboxed open at the moment, and I, I don't have his name, um, but he has serious Robert Patrick vibes, and if they ever remade Terminator 2, that is the guy you hire to play the T-1000 Terminator. <laughs> my, oh, yeah. Anita literally thought it was Robert Patrick at first, like... <laughs> She's like, is that the Terminator guy? No, that's definitely not. But he's giving some serious Terminator energy. 
I think we we were looking him up because he was in he was in Justified. I I kind of laughed every time I heard his name because it sounds so much like a like a He Man toy. Hordak. <laughs> Hordak. <laughs> oh yeah. He's got one of those good villain faces too, right? Like it's it's very angular, um, sort of like asymmetrical. Like it's just yeah, it's just a, it's a good villain look. You know, he just, looks like a he looks be- like a hitman. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know what else I would have liked to see? Like I know they added a they added a Kristen Stewart looking checking out a woman at the gym, but I I don't know they gave Jane a love interest. Why not give uh, Sabina like a like a lady to to woo? Yeah. Did they not imply at the end that Elena was interested in Sabina? Was that implied? I thought there was like a like there was like a almost kiss between them in that like last montage where they were like training her. Oh, I don't know. It, it went by. It was like when after they landed on the uh, on the plane after she had landed the plane when they all jump out and leave her to to fly it herself. Mm-hmm. I thought there was. Yeah, I'm pre- I'm pretty sure I saw that, but maybe I'm mistaken. Well, if it was there, it went by too quickly. Uh, and mm-hmm. if we're gonna do that. Double down and do it. Make it an actual plot line. Yeah. I didn't mention this earlier either. I would cut the training montage at the end because I thought it was really self-indulgent and dumb and I did not care for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I think you could have kept the little like post-credit scene maybe where she earns her wings and say that she's completed training. I don't think you need to like say, oh, well, Ronda Rousey is also an angel and Danica Patrick is also an angel and Ruth, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is also an angel. That was, I was just like, now you're just, now you're just patting yourself on the back. All the best women. It's I was confused by that scene <laughs> because I was like, I know I'm supposed to recognize these women and a part of me was like, is that Ronda Rousey? I couldn't. I couldn't pin Danica Patrick or anyone. So in my mind, as they're going through all these different like ladies training her, I'm like, are these all the women who played the mm-hmm. angels? And from it the should 70s? have been. If you were going to keep then, that montage, it should have. There should have been a Cameron Diaz cameo and a Drew Barrymore that's what cameo. I was expecting because the one lady was like old enough that I was like, oh, you were probably an actress in the 70s. Wait, no, that's not. That's Ronda Rousey. Is Drew Barrymore going to show up? I don't know what's happening here, but now she's landing a plane and Kristen Stewart's back. Okay, well, I'm glad this movie is over. <laughs> yeah, that was. I don't, it was. It was mostly. I, I didn't. It, I didn't hate it. The the montage. It just like it was just kind of went on a little bit too long. Um, yeah. There was like four separate sequences, I think. That so, yeah, it was. Uh, someone pointed out it, that when we get to listener comments, that it was like it was like the fun stuff that the rest of the movie should have had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, speaking of then, I think I think we've definitely uh, whipped up some canny notes to make this movie uh, a little little tighter, a little better. Because there's definitely uh, uh, it's not nothing. There's this movie had a lot of charm. And a lot of style, and I think I think we've added a little bit of yeah, substance think, to it. I think it just needed tightened up. In in all honesty, I think Elizabeth Banks had had the foundation of something good here. It just needed like maybe a couple more drafts, yeah. and it would have been a much tighter movie. And I think that the, the the weird pacing and the and the kind of flat third act are what really hurt it the most. Yeah. But uh, our uh, listeners had comments as well. Thank you to everybody who contributed. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at I Have Some Notes and on Instagram at I Have Some Notes Pod. That's we will, where we will solicit your comments so that I can read them like I'm about to now. Nathan Martin comments I remember really having fun with this movie. I actually laughed a couple times. Kristen Stewart looks like she is having the most fun she's ever had. But if you put me in a slow dripping machine above a vat of acid, I could not tell you what the plot of this movie was. I remember feeling like they combined the plot of the first two movies and crammed it into this one? Anyway, have fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, with. At risk of spoiling a a later comment, Nathan is not the only person who said they watched this movie and the plot just (laughs) slid off of them and they have no memory of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I was saying, the MacGuffin doesn't do anything. It could be anything in that briefcase. It could be anything stolen from that lab. Yeah. Well, I, was Nathan, like, I watched this movie on Saturday, and I was worried I wasn't going to remember it all for for this recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, mediocrity yeah. is the is the worst thing you want in art, right? Like you either want to be Scorsese or Neil Breen. You want you don't, you don't want to be in between. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Nathan is is absolutely right, though, that Kristen Stewart is definitely having a blast in this movie. Dallas Jordan Friesen comments, how did the helicopter catch her when she jumped off the building? Lol. <laughs> yeah. I assume she she was knocked down and then pushed off the side of the building into the helicopter. It was a zip line, wasn't it? Yeah. Zip lining into a helicopter does seem like, like uh, in any spy movie, you know, there's excessive, you know, nonsense, but that one, like, rotor blades are nothing to be uh, fucked with. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we don't zip line into helicopters after the mission is over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was also, that was a very fake looking helicopter. (laughs) And a fake looking Kristen Stewart in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They did not have the budget for that shot. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> or it was like, oftentimes, um, especially when a studio is really pushing for a deadline to get a movie out at a certain time, um, a special effects house will like send them the almost finished product so that they can proof it. And they'll be like, perfect, good, send it to post. And it's <laughs> like, oh, oh no, that wasn't the finished product that actually happens more than you'd think. And that's why there are movies where you're like, the special effects are not good on that. And that's the reason why, because the production company is just like good enough for us off to the, off to the theaters. <laughs> that's great. Cause, love- cause we don't have time to make it better. Flix X raid says more of the training montage that takes place in the credits and less of whatever the hell the rest of it was. <laughs> That's true. If the training montage, if like more of the movie was like the training montage, I think that would have been pretty fun. It's just also, you would just prefer that it was also incredibly violent. Yeah. <laughs> Robin at Cinematological, uh, who I believe suggested this movie. Thanks, Robin. He did, yes. <laughs> uh, I said I was sorry for Blues Brothers 2000. I don't know <laughs> why i'm still being punished no uh robin says uh tepid and sloppy but filled with good intentions needed either better action or better comedy to feed a solid premise Kristen stewart was great and seemed to be in a different movie (laughs) hard agree basically yeah and i think we we all kind of agreed that um the comedy was fine it needed more action no, I are in heart and like real mm-hmm. meaningful emotional stakes. Yeah, fair enough. That too. Jay Runham says, I haven't seen it, but I assume it needs more Patrick Stewart in it. Yes. In that, <laughs> I mean, that like, character. We need, yes. <laughs> we need more time with that character. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know if I would keep Patrick Stewart and instead maybe keep Jimon Hansu. And that might just because be because I really like Jimon Hansu. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall yes that that character we needed more time with aaron beaver says i get that we're trying to change it up and having a bunch of angels instead of three but the tone was really weird it felt like a corporate video for recruiting teenage girls to join blackwater or something (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it did feel like a recruiting video that's a good point Especially the montage at the end, actually. Mm-hmm. It's like, come, come be an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Colin McIntyre, a friend of the show, of course. Uh, uh, dare I say, uh, founder of the show, whose, whose job I have so uh, um, glad to have inherited. Uh, uh, still coming in with the hot takes and comments. Mick G forever. Also, I know I've seen this, but I don't remember anything about it, which likely says a lot. Uh, wh- yep. Uh, who's Mick G? What's Mick G? Mick G is the director of uh, both the previous Charlie's Angel films. Mm. Perfect. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, who? Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, at some point, we Colin will be back in the uh, in this season. So look forward to that. We <laughs> we're gonna. Yeah. We've been trying to net him for seasons now. He's just such a busy yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. But I'm available. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Perfect. Thank you, everybody who commented once again. Uh, we solicit these on our social media, so follow us uh, there. And uh, thank you, thank you, Glenna, for joining us today. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. It was a fun time. Uh, of course, where where else can we we find you? Your your works and things on the internet. 
Uh, yeah, I am a member of uh, the cast of Quantum Kickflip, an actual play Slug Blaster podcast, which is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Uh, so, which is the same network that this is on, and Liam's in it too. Uh, mm-hmm. Come check us out. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, you can uh, at Quantum Kickflip. Just search it; you'll find it. It comes up. Google's good like that. Uh, and of course, uh, while you're on Google looking for Quantum Kickflip, also look for our, our stuff. Uh, not just our social media, but wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe. Please like. Leave us a review. It really does help us out. Are you looking for more kick-ass women who look into crimes perpetrated by treacherous frauds? Then Scam Time would be right up your alley. It's a true crime podcast hosted by Stephanie Wolf and Karen Johnson-Diamond. You can check them out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And the season of You Pick 'Em continues. In two weeks, we're going to be doing uh, Event Horizon. Prepping ourselves for spooky Halloweens with a sci-fi horror. Uh, until then, I have been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. Skies.